When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did you know that Book Riot has over 25 newsletters covering every genre, as well as book news and deals? Sign up for book deals to get notified about the best book sales of the day, handpicked by our editorial staff. There's Today in Books, our daily newsletter summing up the most interesting headlines from the book world every day. And don't miss our newest newsletter, Our Queerest Shelves, which will deliver LGBTQ plus news and recommendations straight to your inbox. We've also got newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, YA lovers, mystery thriller aficionados, and more. Just go to bookriot.com slash newsletters to sign up for the newsletters that are most interesting to you. That's bookriot.com slash newsletters. Hey, 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 and welcome back to When in Romance, where we love to talk about all kinds of things that are romance, but also not quite (laughs) in the world. I am Jess. And I am Trisha. And this is episode 79. We're recording on Thursday, March 18th. And we have some, some good things and some cooler things to talk about today. Yeah, I think it's going to be good. We've got a uh, might even have a little bit of controversy. Um, <sighs> you know, we we might be hearing from you about some of our feelings and opinions. But before we get into sort of our our new news of the week, we wanted to do a couple of quick updates. We heard back a little bit about the Rift Bodice uh, diversity report. We did hear from one person on uh, Instagram who was listening and mentioned the Lee and Lowe diversity baseline survey, which is, it's not romance specific, but it's a much more kind of researched in-depth report on diversity. If you're interested in learning more about it, we'll link to it in the show notes. But also there was a critique of the Rift Bodice report it was on Medium. It was by Nick and Ari. We'll link to that too. I think we linked to some of the tweets from Nick and Ari uh, in our last show notes. Um, but they did really kind of a deep dive critique of the Rift Bodice Diversity Report and some of the concerns with it. And they actually mentioned as well the Lee and Low Diversity Baseline Survey uh, and why that one is, they would argue, a, a more helpful model. Yeah. And uh, both of them work in kind of statistics methodology all of those kinds of big words that I don't understand and might have taken one class about in college. Uh, so they they have a lot of really interesting things to say about not just the process that was done, but how processes can happen in the future. But it's also a really accessible critique. So if you're interested in taking a few minutes to read that, definitely check it out. Yeah. So those links will be in the show notes. And thanks to the folks who reached out about that. Please do continue to rate and review. We we have started getting some really uh, fun and interesting reviews, not all five stars, but (laughs) helpful and of interest. So um, please do not hesitate to let us know. And Jess, any more specific requests this time? You know, I still want to know if you've 
discovered an author or a book that you love or hated, you know, either way, through listening to this podcast. So if you have thoughts about that, go ahead and throw that in a review because we do see them. Yeah, and we will take a look for maybe a roundup um, of any that we see on the next episode. So yeah, that's so now that all of kind of our, our housekeeping and updates are are done, before we jump all into it, Jess, you want to do an ad spot? Let's do that. This week's episode is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. Want great new romance books to read, but overwhelmed by all the publishing buzz? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading likes and your dislikes and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print a Bookstore in Portland, Maine, so you can treat your shelf and support an indie too, and TBR is also available as a gift. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. All right. So it does kind of seem increasingly, and this is good news, like we more and more are seeing news of adaptations. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, a, you know, Bridgerton, Virgin River, who knows? But it's generally good news. Yes. And, you know, sometimes it's good news in waiting because news of things being optioned doesn't always mean that we're going to get something right away. But we do get to hear about things that have been optioned and work has already started. And that's always exciting. Any good news stories for this week, Jess? Let's talk about one. If you haven't figured out what we're talking about, I am in excitement mode about Rebecca Weatherspoon's cowboy books. Uh, the the Pleasant Brothers or the Charming series. <laughs> yeah, I have it, like, sitting right here in front of me. The Cowboys of California series the Cowboys- featuring <laughs> the Pleasant family. And I do think that their ranch is called, like, Charming Ranch because it's adorable. It and is. And you know that already because we've talked about it a lot of times. <laughs> so, yes, that's the news for today. Rebecca Weatherspoon's Cowboys of California set in Charming California with the Pleasant family. Let's just put all of that together since I couldn't mm-hmm. figure yeah. out what the series was called. All of the wonderful, delightful words. Yes, it's being adapted. And like I sort of hinted at, the option has been made, but work has already started. Not like actual filming or anything, but the development of the script and all of that so that the series, it's been optioned as a series, not just a movie. Or at least for a television, and I'm assuming it's a series. And it's been optioned by one of the creators of, oh gosh, I just blanked on the name of it. What is it? One of the creators of Queen Sugar. Queen Sugar. So that's that was very big news for me to see, because it's definitely good to see a creator of a vaguely prominent Black television program being involved in a vaguely prominent Black book series. And, uh, you know, with BIPOC being involved, with Black women being involved, I have very high hopes for its actual translation from book to screen. 
Yeah, and uh, Valerie C. Woods, the co-executive producer you mentioned from um, Queen Sugar, also has worked, it looks like, on at least the second season of Netflix's Sweet Magnolias, which is one of the adaptations that we haven't really talked about, or, or personally, I haven't really gotten around to, but that I would say bodes well also that she's been involved in, you know, some romance. She's done, uh, she's done a romance series before. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. And uh, I, I did, I watched like all the Sweet Magnolias, like not all at once, but very close. And it was incredibly well done. Like I haven't read the source material. So I don't know much about the universe as Cheryl Woods created it, but the show itself is just delightful. And Heather Headley's in it. Well, and maybe, uh, yeah, maybe we're we're lining up our next adaptation episode. We'll see. We'll see. But that that does also give me a, a little, a, a nice spark of hope for what will be translated to the screen and the production value, I'll be honest, because like, not only is it like well acted and a good story, but it's very well done. Yeah, and my hope, I mean, I will say I'm very excited about this because I like these books and I I love this author. Mm-hmm. Here's the other thing for me, though, Jess, is that I'm kind of hoping that if we start adapting more and more romances, people will stop being so weird about them. <laughs> because, and this is a little bit of a shift, you know, kind of to our next discussion, but uh, here's the thing. So Bridgerton was a very big deal. We have talked about it. We don't need to get back into it again. But the thing that was kind of amazing to me was seeing my friends who knew Shonda Rhimes but did not know romance watching Bridgerton and how they reacted to it, right? Like this didn't – it didn't seem like happened to me with like Virgin River because people – generally if you weren't a romance fan, you might not have been watching it. Mm -hmm. But with Bridgerton, there was a huge broad audience of people. They were obsessed with how much sex there was in it, (laughs) which to be honest – wasn't well, even all that much. <laughs> the amount of nudity that was in it, people felt like were astonished by. I had one friend refer to it as, I kid you not, Downton Abbey meets Fifty Shades of Grey. That I was like, mm, no, no, that's no, that's a different no. book. I'm oh, sure a that very exists. different book. Hundred percent, hundred. And honestly, I might read that, but. <laughs> That is not at all like it's it's that people have a very specific idea in their mind of what sex and sexual content is mm-hmm. in any kind of romance, and all they can think of is Fifty Shades, which is I don't know, it just kind of blows my mind a little bit. But then the more I started to think about it, the more I thought, you know what? Why wouldn't they? Right? Like if you are a person who does not read in the romance genre, if you are a person who generally just absorbs television and film, you would be taken aback by how much sex there is in something like Bridgerton compared to, you know, Designated Survivor, for example, (laughs) or whatever other show. But even, you know, it it kind of, it's amazing to me a little bit that the amount of, you know, violence that there is on television or in film, Mm -hmm. we are so anesthetized to that. And yet when you see a few butts, you're like, wait, what is happening? This show is scandalous. Like, I don't I'm shocked. The interesting about, thing about that is that, like, I have not watched the entire Shonda collection of ABC television, but for a network television show, there's a pretty good amount of sex just on TV aired yeah. n- nationally. Yeah. So to be surprised that a Netflix show made by the same production company wouldn't have 
a similar amount, but with more body parts showing. Yeah, and I think you get further into, there's a lot of fade to black, right? It's a very PG-13 version of sex, because I was thinking about that too. If you think about Grey's Anatomy, like all of those people are having sex with all of each other, just not at the same time. (laughs) That would be another very interesting romance that I would consider reading. (laughs) But it's sort of like, oh, we start making out and maybe you see somebody's bra, Mm -hmm. but you definitely don't see anyone complete an act of physical intimacy. In a way that I think you could on Netflix and maybe do on Bridgerton, you know, so I I do think it goes a little further in that way. But I don't know. I mean, it just kind of, I'm sort of having this hard time now sort of reconciling why the amount of sex and I know nudity is not really a thing that you think about in books because they are books. But, you know, like people are getting naked in a way that I guess in network television, at least, they generally are not. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's all part of that same sort of the element of what is considered romance or romantic for the average viewer, not the average reader, but the average viewer mm-hmm. seems to just be so beyond what romance people think of, because like we expect the promise of the word romance. If we hear the word romance... We know that there is going to be some emotional connection and emotional, like, engagement with the people who are falling in love. We know that they might have sex. They might just kiss. They might not even do that. We don't know. They could stare at each each other across the street from the tops of two buildings. Um, and, I mean, again, I would watch that. And they and they get a happy ending. Like, those are the expect- expectations we have. Yeah, I... I don't even know what image I was pulling up for. I don't know. Um, I think what you were pulling was the uh, movie poster for Sleepless in Seattle. I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think that's what it was. I, maybe. I don't know. That's that's not my usual go-to for thinking of romantic movies because it's not. But <laughs> Oh, we'll come back to that. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the question then becomes, I mean, is there – because I think you're 100% right. I think there's a disconnect between – the expectations that people have of romance in books and particularly probably romance genre readers versus in film or in television. So my question to you then is, do you think if we start to increasingly see more adaptations, if Bridgerton or Sweet Magnolias or Virgin River or even Fifty Shades of Grey are not outliers, but they're more kind of part of the mainstream in terms of romance content, does the way that people start to perceive sex, love, romance, nudity, etc. in film and television start to change? That's not a loaded question, but kind of a, I would hope, but maybe not question. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we we do have the expectation that if we see more of something, and it becomes more common and less weird, um, I hate to use the word weird, but to the average person who has no idea what romance is, they know Fifty Shades of Grey because that's the only movie mm-hmm. you'll find in a list of books, <laughs> romance books adapted to movies that is an actual romance. Like, I don't usually refer to Fifty Shades of yeah. Grey as a romance because the it, you have to read all three to get to the HEA. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, there's the other stuff, too. But everything else, somebody dies <laughs> at the end. But going back to the question of the sex... Which we actually do see kind of commonly in like raunchy rom com films that have that aren't 
like that romantic. And I think there are people who don't connect sex with romance. And that's part of it. But we oh, also, like in the US, we have this thing about sex, like you were talking about, the amount of mm-hmm. violence we see on television and film is hardly criticized. But the amount of sex, mm-hmm. even if it's half of a scene where people mm-hmm. are kissing and indicating that they're about to have sex and then it ends, somebody mm-hmm. is going to object to it. Even if those people <laughs> just shot a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so then I kind of wonder too, if like the flip side of this question is true, right? So even if we don't start thinking differently as viewers, and this is something I think maybe we can get into a little more later um, when we're talking a little more about movies, but I almost wonder if the opposite is true. Does the formula for romance, which is, I'm not going to say rigid because when other people say that, it makes me very frustrated, but it's pretty specific, right? You've got a central couple and an emotionally satisfying ending. Mm-hmm. Those are kinds of, that the, the love story has to be central. The ending has to be ha- like H-E-A or H, happy for now, right? Happy ever after, happy for now. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if as the lines start to blur and there starts to be more crossover between the two, the way that we think about the romance genre in books starts to change at all. That is my biggest fear, actually. Interesting. Because we've already seen people have these conversations about, do do romance novels have to have a happy ending? And these are people who are already like inside the genre. So Mm -hmm. as more people are turned on to romance because of these movies or television series that are being adapted, is that group of people going to grow enough that publishing is like, you know what, we can make a few little teensy tiny changes to what is considered a romance. I mean, it's already happening. If you look at books that are being promoted as romance now from some publishers, and they're actually contemporary Mm -hmm. fiction with women-centered themes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't fit on the Barnes & Noble aisle title. (laughs) Contemporary (laughs) fiction with women-centered themes. (laughs) Well, I actually think, yeah, when we get a little further down this conversation, I'm going to posit that there could be some change to the way that romance readers think about the genre that actually would be good that they could pull from movies. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, before we have that conversation, we're going to have to talk more about some that maybe don't fit. But I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to step on any of your other points around this kind of adaptation and why things are so different discussion. I think we I think we hit on a lot of things. The whole idea that romantic movies, like the ones that we see that people think of as this like achingly romantic film that was adapted from an achingly romantic book, isn't a genre romance usually. It's a book with romantic elements that ends sadly. And the like even one of my friends who reads romance herself was watching Bridgerton and texted me and was like, she better end up with the Duke. And it's like, it's a romance novel. Of course, they're going to end up together. (laughs) But we have this expectation that something is going to go horribly wrong. And Mm -hmm. part of it is because of television. I cannot tell you how many relationships I have invested in that were suddenly taken away from me because they had to keep the show moving. Mm-hmm. This is kind of why I watch K-dramas, Korean dramas, because they're usually one season. Mm-hmm. They have the same formula as a romance novel, 
introduce, meet cute, meet disaster, meet whatever, relationship development, happy ending. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so many of them that I've watched, like, they're definitely those that don't have that formula. Because they're sticking to one story, they have mm-hmm. the same romance novel feeling. Whereas a lot of television, ha- like, they might have establish a story but they're just trying to keep the seasons renewing so they're like you know what why don't we kill this person Mm -hmm. and like no yeah you either have to kill them or marry them off and then figure out what to do with them for five seasons as a happily married couple Mm -hmm. so oftentimes it is death yes you're not wrong yeah i mean at least now we know right that's where yeah that's where things stand all right well let's play a little game that I like to call, Is It a Romance? In which we decide whether various films that are slated as romance, and in some case romantic comedies, actually fit that at least book genre definition of a romance. But before we play that game, I'm going to do our other ad spot. Because first of all, I'm excited about it. It's great. But also, <laughs> I'm pretty sure once we get into this, emotions are going to run very high. And we're not going to be able to get back to it. So before we play... Is it a romance? Huge thanks to Book Riot Insiders, the digital hangout spot for the Book Riot community. You can enrich your reading life with our Book Riot Insiders perks. We have got three levels to insiders. There is short story, there is novel, and there's an epic level. And you can try out any level for free for two weeks. For podcast lovers, we're talking to all of you. Insiders at the novel and epic level get access to two exclusive shows. The Read Harder Podcast, which gives recommendations for the Read Harder Challenge, task by task. And, as Jess and I both know, Book Riot Remixed, where we randomly pair up hosts from across all of the Book Riot podcasts to talk about, well, whatever they want. Insiders also get exclusive access to bookish deals, behind-the-scenes newsletters, exclusive podcasts, our epic book club, and more. Sign up for your free trial at insiders.bookriot.com. Com. That's insiders.bookriot.com. All right, Jess, I'm not going to lie. I'm bringing a lot of feelings and in some cases, many years worth of feelings <laughs> into the game. Is it a romance? I've got one that I feel very strongly about. One that I can see where some critiques are, but I think I know how I feel. And one that I honestly could go either way. And I, I know you've got a couple of two. So where do you want to start? Well, I've got a confession. Oh, I'm ready. There are a couple that you're going to talk a lot about because I haven't seen them. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I have a feeling I know which two they are, and I feel pretty confident that I can uh, get into them. So I'll tell you what. I'm going to get, I'm going to start with one. Let's start with The Happiest Season. Uh, It came out in December. It's a holiday film. It stars Kristen Stewart, and she, well, it stars a lot of other people too, but it's mostly (laughs) Kristen Stewart. And she is a woman who is in a relationship living, uh, I'm pretty sure, with her partner, planning to get engaged and goes to her partner's home. Kristen Stewart plays Abby. Mackenzie Davis plays her partner, Harper. That is harder to say than you would think. And the lovely and wonderful Dan Levy is in the book as John, a close friend of Abby. And so they, again, living together, very serious. Abby is planning on proposing. She's going to Harper's family for the holidays. The thing is, Harper's family does not know that she is gay. And so she sort of 
pushes Kristen Stewart's character, Abby, kind of back in the closet for the weekend because she doesn't want to tell them her dad is a mayor or some kind of high-level politician, played by the wonderful – Victor Garber is wonderful. He plays the dad. Mary Steenburgen is wonderful. She plays the mom. Um, the whole cast is amazing. But this movie, just even kind of based on the way that the relationship looks and feels and the fact that it is incredibly – toxic to push someone back in the closet and to not own your love and your relationship, no matter how complicated your family situation is. Like it's people have had really strong feelings about it. Mm -hmm. The strong feelings I saw though were not that it wasn't technically a romance. It's that they didn't know if it should be. You know, like they they didn't know it's it's a in a lot of ways I think it's a difficult couple to get behind. Yeah. And like One of the reasons that I haven't seen it is because of sort of the traumatic response from all of the people who I follow on Twitter who are queer women or female presenting people who watch Mm -hmm. this expecting it to be a little funnier because the way that it was presented, like the trailers and stuff, definitely promoted it as a rom-com. And even with the toxic idea of pushing your partner back into the closet, it was supposed to be fun. Like, I don't I don't know how mm-hmm. that would be fun. It's almost better that it is not fun, mm-hmm. because that allows for a little more growth within the characters. Mm-hmm. And I will say, based on what I know about the 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 plot of the story, it probably would have worked out really well as a novel. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I, I will say throughout this whole kind of discussion on all the movies we're going to talk about, we're not trying to like give major spoilers on anything, but we probably are going to talk about whether there's an emotionally satisfying ending mm. and a central love story. So if you feel like that's a spoiler, then uh, maybe skip ahead a little. <laughs> but I think part of the issue with I mean, you know, we've talked about a lot of issues. I I do think the fact that if this book were a novel, Kristen Stewart's character would have been the sole narrator, Mm. right? You're very much seeing this from her perspective, which is, I mean, she's great. And it's, it's fun to just even watch her do something like this. People just don't love the relationship. And I think that's very fair. I also think technically it's a romance. Sorry, everybody. I'm just like, from what I know, it has all of the elements that are part of a romance requirement. And like you said, if it were a book, not only she would be the only narrator. The other thing that I saw a discussion of, since I didn't haven't seen the movie myself, is that romance readers in particular who were watching it weren't sure why they should be rooting for these two. Since we didn't see the development yeah. of their relationship to that point. Mm-hmm. Like what yeah. why were we why would we engage with them and be emotionally invested in their surviving to the end of the movie? Yeah, it's very much not about the kind of development of their relationship. And so many romances are that I can see why that would be a frustration. Yeah. So, but I think from what I know, with my very, very limited knowledge of the film, which I do need to watch now that I'm like not in Christmas mode anymore, because those are two of my favorite people, as is Victor Garber, as is Dan Levy. I can support the concept that it is technically a romance. And I will throw in Aubrey Plaza is in this movie and also is wonderful. And Mary Holland plays a character named Jane. The last thing I'm going to say about this movie, if you've seen it, you're going to get it. Justice for Jane. (laughs) Justice for Jane. Uh, All right. What do you got, Jess? So this one has actually come up in 
my mutual online space recently because uh, Bianca Hernandez Knight is running at this moment a rom-com bracket. So this is less, is it a romance? Is it a rom-com? And that movie is The Mummy. Because The Mummy, if you haven't seen it, the masterpiece from 1999, is about, it's set in between wartime um, in (laughs) Egypt. And you have Evelyn, the librarian, who works for the Egyptian archives in Cairo, and Rick, played by Brendan Fraser, who is the best Timbo. Um, And he is in jail when they first meet, but he is the only one who knows how to get to a mythical place out in the desert that she is looking for. And so it's a adventure road trip story. <laughs> and there's also a mummy who comes to life and is killing people. And there are other people involved who are also trying to get to this desert site. And there's just a lot happening. But it's also hilarious. And it's also very romantic. Because the two of them together are mind-blowingly chemical. If that yes. is a word. Um, have, uh, it is in this case. They have great You chemistry. made it up and it fits. Oh, so good. So good. So I can argue that it is. it has the requirements of is it a romance, but then add that layer. Is it a rom-com or is it a horror comedy with romantic elements? I don't know. Here's First of all, it has been way too long since I've seen this movie, just because it is absolutely wonderful. I would say this. I think sometimes when it comes to rom-coms, we have a very specific and I think really limited frame for where they can fit in setting, right? Mm-hmm. I think when you think rom-com, you think contemporary. Mm-hmm. And you tend to think, at least I do, maybe this is because of just where I'm from and where I grew up, but like you think US. Mm-hmm. And if it's not taking place... In the United States, in a contemporary setting, then it doesn't matter how much humor there is, it it doesn't count. But I actually think there is a good case to be made that a lot of romances that are set in different places, certainly historical romance, you know, I, we've seen that. We've talked about wonderful comedic historic romances. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't, I don't know. I hadn't really ever thought of it as a rom-com, but this one's not only historical, it's also adventure, as you mentioned. I mean, The Princess Bride is a rom-com. I think The Mummy can be too. That is an excellent point. Once in a while. Once in a while, I come through, Jess. (laughs) You come through pretty regularly, Trisha. (laughs) Pretty regularly. Well, thank you. At least three times every two weeks. (laughs) Well, yeah, but then I usually uh, talk over them, so they have to get edited out. But yeah, no, I think think it counts. Well, then I will take that. Let's, Let's say it is. All right. So now we have two. Yes, it's a romance. Happiest Season, The Mummy, both romances, regardless of how you feel about the other factors in them. I'm going to come at you on with Jess that I have very strong feelings, was marketed as romance, was marketed as a rom-com. It's based on a true story that is very romantic, but the movie is not a romance. (laughs) It is a comedy. It is not a rom-com. I am speaking to you, of course, because you all must know by now Mm -hmm. about The Big Sick, Mm -hmm. the 2017 comedy that was lovely, delightful. It was, uh, it stars Camille Nanjiani and um, Zoe Kazan. I hope I'm getting her name right. And, and this is important, Ray Romano, 
because the central <laughs> relationship in this film is between the Camille Nanjiani character and the Ray Romano character. Mm. <sighs> okay, let me back up really quickly. So it was written by Emily V. Jordan and Camille Nagiani, who are married in real life. And it was based on something that kind of happened to them. It's very loosely based. But they, so in the in the film, these two people, also named Camille and Emily, are dating. Things are going really well. There's this sort of complicated situation such that they end up breaking up. Right after they break up, she has a medical emergency and is put into a medically induced coma. Her parents come to be there with her, of course, and they know about the breakup. So they're kind of like, you should not be here. And he's like, no, I want to stay. So they do. And then he spends a very long time bonding with her parents and particularly her father, played by Ray Romano. (laughs) At least half of the middle of the movie features no lines. Emily's in a coma. (laughs) They are not building a romance. He's building a relationship with her dad, played by Ray Romano. The trailer of this film <laughs> still features an intro by Camille Nagiani and Ray Romano. <laughs> now, to be clear, it is a wonderful movie. I highly recommend it. A lot of really fantastic cast in this movie as well. But the fact that something is based on what turned out to be a really beautiful love story in real life does not make it a romance because the way you tell the story matters and the way they told this story was about Ray Romano. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So that's where I am on the big sick. Feel free to at me because I can do this all day. <laughs> all day long. And I will offer my support because, as I mentioned earlier, this is yet another movie I haven't seen, in part because people saw it and said, this isn't a rom-com. Thank you. I knew I was among my people, (laughs) even though you haven't seen it. So anyway, The Big Sick, wonderful film, absolutely worth watching, and a comedy. Not Not a romance. romance. Not a romance. Thank you for letting me get that off my chest. I've been feeling that way for a long time. I'm so glad that we were able to offer you this venue to do so. And it's funny that you talk about a story about a person and their relationship with their partner's parent. Ah, yes. I think I know where this is going. Because I have conflicted and confusing feelings about Crazy Rich Asians, which was definitely promoted as a romantic comedy. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, I am all about romance novels and romance stories in which we start and the couple is already together and they have things to figure out. This is not that story. <laughs> this is about a fish out of water. Okay, let me let me start over. So, Crazy Rich Asians, you have the Crazy Rich Asians who are not crazy. They are crazy rich. They are disgustingly, outrageously wealthy people who are mostly of Chinese descent living in Singapore. And so you have Henry Golding's character and Constance Wu's character living in New York at the start of the movie. And he invites her to go back to Singapore with him uh, as a guest for his best friend's wedding. So... Her culture shock starts at the airport when they fly first class to Singapore. And 
continues for the rest of the movie. (laughs) Thus the fish out of water concept. They land, she meets his friends, she meets his family, his mother is not excited to meet her. And they, too, spend a lot of time apart in this movie. Mm -hmm. Bachelor and bachelorette parties, moments of needing time to themselves, all of that Mm -hmm. kind of, all of that is happening. And yes, there is a romantic resolution in the movie, but I don't know if I would call it a romance. I definitely wouldn't call it a romantic comedy. The film is great and wonderful and beautiful and hilarious, but the romantic element isn't what makes it that. Interesting. I have to think more about this one because I don't know if it's because I fell sort of prey to the marketing, but in my head, this was always a romantic comedy. And I think the two key points you're making here are that their relationship may not be central to the film. And also, I never really thought about the fact that in a romantic comedy, the romance is maybe supposed to have a part in the comedy. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's completely true, but it felt like the rom-com element that was promised to people who haven't read the book and were just going from the trailer is that there were all kinds of shenanigans that were going to happen in Singapore on their trip. And there were some shenanigans, but they were mostly to humiliate someone who is not as wealthy as the rest of the people there. Interesting. And I also have very strong feelings about like humiliation and people being humiliated in both books and movies. So take that with you as you're listening to me talk about this movie, because, you know, I, I have feelings about that. All right. So what's the verdict, Jess? Is not a romance or is a Could be a romance. Okay. Okay. There's gray area. There's gray gray area. area. Because like I said, there is, there is a romantic arc, but it's not... (sighs) It's kind of central to the movie, but it's similar to The Big Sick, where Mm -hmm. it has the beats, but a Mm -hmm. lot of it isn't about their relationship. It's about her relationship with other people involved in his life. Okay. And maybe that, like, maybe I'm just not thinking about that in romance terms. Maybe if I pick up all of my favorite romance novels, they have that too, but they it doesn't feel like it. I like it. I like that we don't have to for sure decide on everything. Also, <laughs> let us know what you all think, of course. Yes, I want to know what you think about Crazy Rich Asians. Is it a romance? Yeah. Or is it not? I want to know what you all think about all of these. We actually had a couple of others, but in the interest of time, I think we'll we'll skip ahead because we wanted to be able to recommend some favorite romance movies, or at least movies we think are doing interesting romance things. And this just is where I think the slightly more expansive definition of romance that exists in film mm-hmm. is something that could be interesting if it were applied to the genre, the book genre. So let me give you two fairly speedy examples. Now, first of all, because I railed for a number of minutes about the categorization <laughs> of the big sick, I would like to shout out The Lovebirds, oh, gosh. which also stars Camille Nagiani, but it also stars Issa Rae. It is hilarious it is wonderful it is very perhaps you all have noticed over the course of the last few months in particular i'm very into plot action hijinks right now (laughs) this is all of that 
But I think it also does a really interesting job of taking a couple that has is basically breaking up at the beginning of the movie when all of the action starts. You see them at their very beginning, and then you see them like the movie fast forwards to four years later when it's not all delight and romance. And it's very hijinksy, very plot-y, but throughout all of that, I think you could make the argument that the romance is not central, that the action is central, but throughout all of it, there are still moments as they go where you see that these are two people that still really love each other mm. and maybe are being pushed to work through some of the stuff that was driving them apart. And so I think kind of just the way that we let people have multiple dark moments or kind of not focus entirely on the relationship. You know, there's just something about it that didn't feel like it would necessarily fit in the book genre, mm-hmm. but that I really enjoyed and felt works. So that's The Lovebirds. You can watch it, I think, on Netflix. Came out last year. It's wonderful. Here's the other one. You will not have heard of this. <laughs> it is a 2016 Israeli film called The Wedding Plan. You can rent this one on just about any streaming service, but I don't think it's streaming for free anywhere. It's worth like the $4. This movie is amazing. It is about an unwed Orthodox Jewish woman in Israel. She's in her 30s. She has been trying to get matched up for marriage for a decade. And she finally finds someone. She's going to marry him. A month before the wedding, he decides that he does not want to marry her. So she doesn't cancel the wedding. She is, she's, has a, she has tremendous faith in God that he will bring her to her spouse between now and the wedding, and that on the day that she is planning to get married, she will actually find someone, or between now and then. The woman, Mikhail, is wonderful. She's so delightful. And I really love the way that this story kind of says, it's okay to just want to get married. The fact that she really wants to be married doesn't mean she also doesn't want love or romance or to build a strong, you know, good relationship. It just means that this is the thing she wants and she's going after it. And if it was anything else, you know, if it was a career decision or a, you know, a personal goal, she would be going after it and no one would think twice. But the fact that the thing she really wants is to be married makes things a little bit, it feel almost a little bit different, but it's really, really lovely. It's really delightful. I think you could argue that this isn't quite a romance because it really just focuses on her character, but it does have an emotionally satisfying ending. So Mm. I will put that there. But I just... I think the way that it approaches what romance can be breaks out a little bit from some of the expectations that we have. So uh, again, that's called The Wedding Plan. It came out in, I think, 2016 in some countries, I believe 2017 in the US. Awesome. Yeah, that's definitely something that I would try out. I have three, but the first one's going to be really quick because most of you probably know this movie. But if you need to watch a Disney movie... But what one that is most like an actual romance novel? You should watch Tangled. I realized that Tangled is probably my favorite Disney movie. I know. What? No, it's delightful. But like, of all of them, how did I land on that one? It has all of the beats of a good romance novel. You've got the establishment of the world, the universe. Uh, You are introduced to each of the characters. They have a very dangerous meet-cute that would actually have killed him if they were real people. And then they go on a road trip together while learning more about themselves and each other. There's a dark moment, and then there's a happy ending. Like, that is that is the ultimate romance novel, and I love it so much. But I really wanted, I wanted to talk about a couple movies, um, one of which is older and... 
might have a few things that don't hold up well, and one of which is a little newer and does some, like, like Trisha was saying, some really interesting things with our concept of romance. And the older one is Deliver Us from Eva from 2003. This is the second Taming of the Shrew retelling that Gabrielle Union was in, but it was the one where she was the main character. <laughs> so we we get that watching it. And uh, this one also, unfortunately, is only available to rent on streaming. But I mean, it's Gabrielle Union and LL Cool J. Just spend yes. the $4 and uh, roll yes. with it. And this one is an updated version of Taming of the Shrew, like I mentioned. And you've got Gabrielle Union's character, Eva, who is like, you know, a hardlined, dedicated, determined black woman who wants to just be successful in her work and doesn't have time for anything else. And her sisters, both of whom are in committed relationships to people, but who can't move forward because of Eva. So her uh, would-be brother in actually one of them I think is an actual brother-in-law, hires LL Cool J to woo her. And uh, things ensue. And it's just like, first off, it was definitely the first Shakespeare adaptation that was starring all Black people created by a Black person with a happy ending that I had seen. Because I think it was made after a couple other Shakespeare updates that had Black main characters, but also involved people dying. Um, so <laughs> that was great to see. And it was also kind of the the first time I had seen that kind of ensemble cast working in that way, where it wasn't just like a group of friends with individual stories that came together every once in a while. It was really, really, it's sort of like much do about nothing, like everything is happening all at once and everything is about everything else that's happening. So... And and I just love the way that the movie is made and the characters and there are some lines that still just randomly come to me when I'm thinking about it. So part of it is probably nostalgia and you're really going to have to watch it with a grain of salt about some things that might not have made it to 2021 nicely. So that that's one of one of my movies that I definitely just think is a great example of a romance that is also other things happening. And the other that I recently, not recently, I guess I, I first watched it a couple of years ago. It's on Netflix. It's called Juanita. And it is starring Alfre Woodard and Adam Beach. First off, if you know both of those people, you know that they are not up and coming young stars. Like this is an older couple who are Get, who get to experience this romantic story. And Alfred Woodard's character, Juanita, needs a change. So she just like gets on the road and drives and ends up in this tiny town in Montana, I think it is. And she pulls off and is at this French restaurant, random French restaurant in the middle of nowhere, run by Adam Beach's character. And he does play a Native American in the movie. So it's like, why is this large, barrel-chested, beautiful Native American man running a French restaurant in the middle of nowhere in the northern half of the country? So 
they don't start off well. Like, for a, a minute, I was like, oh, they, they can't possibly romantic. They can't possibly be set up for a romantic relationship. But then, growth. Um, and you all know how much I love growth. Uh, personal growth, relationship growth, all of that. So, you know, there's a lot happening in this movie, and both of the characters are dealing with a lot of trauma. Um, so definitely just be aware of that if you decide to watch it. But it's just such a beautiful movie. And it it has more of a happy for now than an HEA, but it is definitely an emotionally satisfying ending. I'll just say that. But the fact that it's featuring older characters, both of them uh, BIPOC, and just the fact that it deals with each of their traumas without either burying us in it or tucking it away is just really well done. And I think it's worth seeing at least once. All right. So those are some recommendations. We'll have links to all of those films in the show notes. Uh, let us know what your favorite romances are and at least watch some of the trailers for these and see if they seem like they might be a good fit because I think we're getting pretty strong endorsements from both of us <laughs> on these. So that is our show. Uh, as always, a huge thanks to our wonderful audio editor, Jen Zink. Find us on email and social media. You can email us at always at whenandromance at bookwrite.com. I am on Instagram primarily at Trisha Haley Brown. And I am on Twitter mostly at Jess's Reading, all one word. But you can also find me on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading. We're going to try to talk a little bit about our next book club book next time. So if you have any recommendations, send those in one way or another. And otherwise, just let us know what your thoughts are on the books. Well, actually, I guess mostly the movies we talked about this week and the book film adaptation question generally. I think that might be it for us, Jess. I think it is. Feel free to reach out with any thoughts you have. If you have ideas that you want us to talk about on the show, let us know. And in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading.